Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. Uh, Liz is not with me, believe it or not. I chased her off. She she um, was upset with me that I was making so much fun of her on the last episode. Yes, yes, I know. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it, was, it was well done on my part. Uh, that's not true. She she had to step away. But what I have in front of me are two amazing ladies that have both never been on a podcast before. So we're going to bring them into the podcasting world. Their names are Amy Evans and Joni Baumgartner, and they are from Grove City College. Ladies, how are you? Good. Thank you. Doing great. Thanks for having us. All right. So, Joni, I'm going to start with you. Tell me about what you do for Grove City College. Set the stage for all the people who are going to listen to this, and then we'll go to you, Amy. Sure. Sounds great. I am our Director of Advancement Communications. So in a nutshell, that just means that any communications, whether print, digital, or otherwise, um, we that are facing alumni and donors, uh, we help to draft, compile, vet, uh, and schedule. So yeah, that's that's kind easy, of a, easy work. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. How about you, Amy? Yeah. So again, my name's Amy. I work with Joni. She's actually my supervisor. And in um, the role that I have, I'm also doing the communications piece, but I'm doing a lot of the marketing with that. So the digital design work is something that I kind of lend into as my expertise on how the emails look or the print pieces look, um, trying to add a little bit more of that uh, creative element. All right. So uh, Joni, I want to start with you. How is it really managing Amy on a daily basis. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot tell you how blessed I am. Like we're we're a true team. I say that all the time. <laughs> yes. There we go. That was the right answer. <laughs> but in all seriousness, this woman is a dream to work with. She is incredibly professional and excellent at her craft. And it, she just makes my world so much easier. So <laughs> I, I don't even look at it as managing her. I do not manage her. I partner with her and we do great things together. So well I, I can't say enough about her. That's that's good leadership when you when you use the right words like partner. <laughs> yes. And so, okay, so let's talk fundraising. Let's talk advancement. Yeah. It's hard. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That's been another episode of the Edit <laughs> Uh, it, it's hard. And, um, you know, I've been in higher ed myself for about 20 years and um, I work for a very small uh, nonprofit uh, institution in California called Claremont Lincoln University. And it's new. It's a new startup university. And so we've had to create fundraising kind of from the ground up. And being a new university, we don't have alumni, that many alumni. Right. So it makes it even that much harder. And we don't have undergraduate. Mm -hmm. It makes it even that much harder. You, you look at the environment in higher ed and you look at the shifting dollars. And I've talked about this. Through, we've actually had a couple other advancement folks here shifting dollars away from higher ed, going to healthcare. How mm. do you How do you make fundraising easier? <laughs> now, there is the question. You didn't know you'd get such a hard question. What, what do you do, Amy? I'll start mm -hmm. with you. From a communications perspective, in your mind, what makes a fundraising easier? easier to handle, maybe easier is not the right word, but more effective when it comes to communications. What communications? How with your communications? Mm. Talk to me about some of the blocking and tackling, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for my understanding with fundraising is that there has to be an emotional tie. So how do you make people feel when you are asking for money? Yeah. Um, I think it's the way that you're encouraging them to give back, but it's also talking about why 
And I think for anyone, including myself, if I'm going to give to an organization, I want to understand where my money is going to be used, how it's going to be used and what difference it's going to make. So for our alumni, when we are talking about a campaign day or a email campaign that we're trying to send out, we want to give them all the details so that they feel emotionally invested in the opportunity. And I think another thing is, is that we're not going to ask necessarily for a specific dollar amount, but we will maybe encourage them by the way that we have set up our platform through Anthology to suggest an amount, but we want them to understand that every dollar does count so that their difference can start from whatever they can give. And then hopefully from that first interaction with them, we want to then maintain a relationship for future giving. And then in the future, maybe they'll give more, mm -hmm. but I think it all starts with emotion and relationship and then kind of where we take them from there. Joni, we're talking about you did really well, Amy, to kind of define lifetime value of a student because lifetime value of a student isn't the very, very short period of time they're in higher education, which is a snapshot of life, right? Hmm. It's what happens after. It's whether they return for an advanced degree, if it's uh, being a donor that, you know, because of course, if you're an alumni in year one, you're probably not going to make as much as you make in year 41 or, you know, I don't know how they, the student mm -hmm. is if they work for 40 years. But you want to have that student have some level of loyalty to you throughout their lifetime because they're creating value. They're marketers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. The students are marketers. Do you look at how maybe the better question is, how do you look at that lifetime journey? Do you have different metrics that say, here's a lifetime value of a student or here's how we expect the student to progress based on their job at this time or where they're working? So you're always blueprinting and keeping track. How do you define that lifetime value? Because it, it must feed your projections. Right. And I do think that, that that's an important thing to consider is lifetime value. And, you know, for us, it does begin when they are students. Mm -hmm. So our office will really seek to engage students where they're at, helping them to even understand what does it mean to be an alum? There are responsibilities, there's rights, but it's a lifetime relationship. So right. we recently sent some communications to our class of 2021 grads. And in there, we said, congratulations, you graduated. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. And so we're trying to uh, bring about education that helps them to understand what is their role? What are the expectations? What are their rights within our alumni association? But yes, to, to get to your question of, um, you know, do we have a way to sort of project value, I think that it does start from the beginning where we know that if they were a more engaged student during their time here, so that takes some careful tracking, right, and some data collection and things like that, we can then use that information to predict those that are more likely to give at certain points in their journey. And so, of course, um, as, as folks mature and age and have kids of their own and, you know, find themselves with the students in college again, we kind of realize that there's going to be natural points in time where they will be more open to giving, where their wallets may be uh, more uh, ready and, and open to uh, share with us, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we do try to think of that uh, when we engage those types of donors. But um, I just think uh, Amy made a great point earlier, and that's just they need to feel connected to us. And that obviously started as a student. And we can't let that lapse. Right. I, I think there's a, a period of years where, you know, if you're a recent graduate and you come back for your first homecoming the very next fall, 
you know, you feel different. You're like, oh, I graduated from here. Uh, you know, I'm back home. You, you know, we kind of, we always say that our alumni always have a seat at our table. It's sort of our uh, engagement mantra, if you will. Right. And so we're trying to educate them about that. Just, you always have a seat here. Sometimes you're going to pull back and not be able to engage with us as much, but you're always welcome back. So kind of like to maintain that open door. Well, and the hope is that as soon as somebody graduates at an undergraduate level to give right away after, even if it's $5, because yes. they're more likely to give in the future. So the sooner you could start that right. frequency, if you will, the greater benefit that person has to the organization later, of course, the benefit, I mean, by financial benefit, not, not personal benefit. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but Amy, let me move to you and ask you, you know, the, the obviously coronavirus being a, a changing event, it's disrupted so many things. One of the thoughts that I had um, and have seen, like I said earlier, is the dollars moving out of out of uh, uh, out of education, moving to healthcare. But do you, have you used and maybe "use" is in the right word? But have you uh, focused coronavirus to say, "Hey, look, we really need you now to help the students that are here. We really need to focus. You know, please don't." I say, please don't give to healthcare, <laughs> but please remember mm -hmm. us and the students and how these these kids are affected because they are the ones that are basically going to be taking care of you when you get mm. older, right? Uh, essentially. So, have you used it to your benefit, and have you had a good fundraising year? Yes. So, um, to use to our benefit, maybe not so directly, but sure. we did leverage Grove City College is a private Christian college. It's not federally funded. We don't receive any federal money. So, um, what was really interesting during coronavirus and this pandemic was that when a lot of universities felt the financial impact of sending students home, providing a somewhat refund, if you will, uh, per diem based on when they left. Um, we offered that opportunity, but we also um, encouraged our um, population to consider giving that money or, or waiving that money back to the institution because the understanding is that we did not want to accept any federal fund because we can't on the normal basis. We didn't want to give up those um that vision and that uh, what we find as a value to our school during also independence, that's that independence, right. that's the word. So um, during that time, I think we were just more vocal to explain what we were doing. Um, I think some alumni probably were sitting on the edge of their seats wondering if we were going to cave because how the government came forward willing to give some stimulus money to colleges and universities. We were not eligible unless we decided to hand over those rights or those privileges Um to then be affiliated. Uh, we stayed away from that because we are just an independent school that takes a lot of pride in that. And I think that's what also gravitates some of our audience to attend our college. So in the way of how we marketed COVID, I think we just try to stick to our values, who we are as an institution, and really tried to make sure that our alumni knew that we were standing strong, but we couldn't do it without them. So our mission this whole year was to be much more vocal as well about the fact that it is our alumni base and our donors who are making the college experience possible. And so we had a campaign that we used our mascot, Wolverines. Um, ah. Our little tagline, yes, uh, was Wolverines together more than ever. Um, yeah. More than ever, Wolverines together. I think yep. that's how it was. And uh, we just really played on that wording for them to understand that this was a collective effort to get through a really difficult season, which I think globally people felt 
regardless of where they were, but um, for them to want to help us do well and make it through because I think the scare was that a lot of institutions would fall through the cracks. Yes. So we just were more communicative, I think, just letting alumni know, here's where we're at, here's what we're doing, here's where we feel the impact, but you can make a difference in such a small way by giving. And um, our communication efforts, I think, being open to sharing where we were and telling them exactly how we were hoping to handle it brought them on board and, and allowed them to just kind of buckle up with us. You know, uh, it, it's, you, you said so much in there that resonates. One of the mo uh, most talked about items is the closures of, of colleges and universities, especially private ones. Um, there are a lot of people that predict closures to take place. There's been some mergers, some acquisitions, not as many as uh, earlier predicted, but mm -hmm. people are still saying that higher ed's in danger, financial danger, so on and so forth. I, I think it will be less than what some of those doomsday predictions are. But being that you're a private Christian college, that puts you in a specific niche within a specific, let me mm -hmm. try that again, specific <laughs> niche within a specific niche, right? Yeah. However, mm -hmm. if you market it right, you can really benefit from that because if you have loyal uh, uh, folks that are Christian, that are looking to give their dollars, they're going to obviously give it to a Christian organization, right? So mm -hmm. if you... If you twist it right, um, so to speak, you can really benefit from your constituency. Right. Did you really double down on brand at that point? Did you double down on, uh, Joni, I'm, uh, I'll ask mm -hmm. you this, double down on here's who we are, here's what we believe. We Maybe mm -hmm. we've always talked about it, but we really need to talk about it now to differentiate ourselves in, in a noisy marketplace. Right. Um, I do think that was really important for us just to remind all of our constituents, as Amy said, who we are, that we're still here. We're still living on mission. Like we have not forsaken mm -hmm. that mission. Times are hard, but we'll get through it together. And we really did have that that mantra of letting everybody know that they were part of this. I think one thing that set us apart too is that we really sought to tell student stories. And so in a year where we could not have scholarship donors come to campus and meet the recipients of their scholarship, we uh, undertook a pretty extensive uh, production process and followed nine of our students around um, just with our camera crew and uh, interviewing them to have them talk about the impact that scholarship dollars had made on their experience and, yeah. and really on their lives. And you know what, those students, told that story so much better than we ever could. And so I think that was important too, like helping our alumni and donor base connect with the students that they support. And, and we made it personal. And I think that was that did make all the difference for sure for us. Did you guys make a, a did you, uh, Amy, I'll ask you, did you transition during COVID and, and now as we're exiting, hopefully exiting COVID, even mm -hmm. though at least in, in Los Angeles where the county where I work, there's the Delta six variant. Mm. So they're saying mask back up. We were going to go back. Now we're not going back. And so anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, restricted versus unrestricted. You know, I think uh, it's every fundraiser's dream. Anybody who works in advancement to have a large unrestricted donation that the college can use at their whim to help students. Right. Uh, it's less managed, if you will. Mm hmm. But COVID brought a wave of restricted donations that I have heard from folks in terms of scholarships or in terms of retention, more specific use. Did that happen to you guys where it was easier, so to speak, to get a scholarship for 25000 than it was to get an unrestricted for 25000 because you wanted more intentionality or was there no change really? That's a good question. I want to say that there was probably a little bit of a change. 
um, because people do want to see the specific impact for students to feel um, that they could go to college during a really difficult time. I think the stories that we shared on social media or the way that we um, did our scholarship process, like Joni was talking about, um, each of our students will write a letter to the donor. We read a lot about students who said that their parents were heavily impacted and all summer they were contemplating if they could come to college because their parents lost their job or were laid off. So I think there was that change where people wanted to make a specific impact, but I do think that our team does a very strategic job at the unrestricted account because we understand the impact that it has for us to make that decision based on what the college believes would make the best use of money. And um, thankfully, just because of the way that Grove City is independent and the ways that we have used our monies in the past, people are very fiscally responsible in our leadership team. So I think there's been a trust built for donors who have given before to understand that their monies would be used um, appropriately. And there was some confidence there. But I think equally, the return on that communication, letting people know how the college was using the money was just as important for that unrestricted giving component. So some of our communications, we were a little bit more overt saying unrestricted would be really great. And here's why we had a an alum actually do a video for us to explain the difference. Because I think if you've never given before, or if you maybe have, you've maybe not realized that there are two accounts where in our world, that's something that we know and we study all the time. So we had this video communication that we put on our website and put out an email to Smart. explain it. Because I think mm -hmm. even for myself, not being an alumni prior um, to COVID, I didn't know that there was such a thing, but it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, every fundraiser's dream is to have a un huge unrestricted donation because <laughs> it can help. You know, you think about it like this, a scholarship, a $20,000 scholarship can help maybe one or two students, depending on how the donor creates the restriction or the criteria. But $20,000 unrestricted could help 20 students at $1,000 a piece all right. stay in school instead of one student start school or uh, uh, start a new program off with $21,000 scholarships or whatever you can as an institution break that up. And I think a lot of people, and that's a, such an important distinction that you trained on it that way because a lot of people don't understand. Mm -hmm. They think a scholarship, and we're a good example. We, um, the Edip Experience, we made a donation to Spelman College um, in the name of my co-host, Elizabeth Lieber, to help black women stay in college or start school. And of course, we know enough about higher ed to go, use it however you want. We'll name it, we'll mm -hmm. call it a scholarship, but use it however you want to help as many black women as possible, not just one, right? right? Mm -hmm. But that distinction's important. So it's, I think, great to take it forward. Joni, because I'm getting this long buildup, I know sometimes I have these buttons that will say boo. I won't hit one though and boo myself. <laughs> I save that for the list. Hmm. Fundraising for all intensive purposes is sales. It's very akin to sales, uh, selling a widget, selling hmm. if you work in enrollment in a college or university, it's you're selling a student on why to come to your school. If you are in advancement, you're selling a student on why to donate to the school. So it's very similar. What have you done for me lately, ladies? You hit your goal this month. What's next month? You move real fast. We do that mm -hmm. in enrollment too. I worked in enrollment for 20 years. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. we hit a budget. Next budget, next budget, next budget. Mm -hmm. How do you stay focused? How do you stay focused? And how do you keep the passion right. for fundraising the way that you guys, right. you're exuding it now, and because you're so excited to talk about it. But how do you keep it? <laughs> You know, that's a really great question because I, all of us in higher ed understand how very cyclical our world is. You know, we have school years that start in August. We have graduations that happen in May and 
you know, we do, we tend to do the same things. We have homecoming every fall, you know, so we live this, this, uh, this world groundhog day kind of thing over and over and over. And so your point is, is a great one to make is that we have to keep our perspectives fresh. We have to keep our motivation current and high. And I think one way of doing that is to constantly kind of step back and ask questions. Uh, where our team is is really good about strategizing. Uh, we we all operate uh, under the Clifton Strengths model, where we we've all taken that mm -hmm. test, and we know a lot of uh, the strengths that we tend to operate in. One of them is hugely uh, strategic, and and also innovators. Uh, innovation is one of the common threads that we find uh, among the, the very specific people on our team, and so we do pause a lot, and we'll take time to assess what's working. What's not working? What fresh ideas can we bring? What fresh technologies can we add to our, our repertoire? So I think that um, just that, that idea of pausing regularly to assess things keeps things fresh. But one other point I'd make quickly is that pausing to say thank you Smart. is important. <laughs> Gratitude is so important because we could very easily get caught up in, oh, did we meet our goals by June 30th? That's the end of our fiscal year. Great. Let's move on. We really have to be intentional um, about appreciating our donors, stewarding them well, um, and letting them know how we're doing. You know, so so again, our roles in the communications area come in um, in a very important way because we have to let them know again what was the impact of what you gave last year. Why should you bother to give again this year? You know, how have we used that money? Have we done so in a, a responsible way? Can you trust us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think those those are the things that play in. But I would encourage our listeners to definitely um, take a pause. If you if you don't do that regularly, take a pause. I like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good advice. All right, Amy, so what do you want to take away from Anthology Together? Why are you guys here and what do you hope to learn? Yeah, I think one thing um, we've talked a lot about, Joni and I personally, is just hearing from other schools about their best practices. I think it's really nice to hear from a school who has done something. They've learned a lot about it based on their idea that they brought to the table, their execution, and what they would do differently. It helps you kind of get ahead of the um, tracks a little bit so that Learn if you want to implement... Learn from others' mistakes, if you Exactly, <laughs> and share ours too. But I think um, the creativity of other other schools basically just kind of uh, tuning in to like what their team has implemented is exciting and I think it's kind of neat to see um, just what other things we could be doing at our school that might fit for us so I think that's the the biggest piece and um, any opportunity to learn something that we haven't implemented so we do use anthology and compass and there's a lot of pieces of the website and the emailing platforms and the forms that we use but um, once you start talking to people they might take it from a different angle mm -hmm. and so then all of a sudden you leave with some immediate capable thing that you can implement when you start back in the office on Monday. And I think that's what's exciting is we can have an immediate turnaround on something that we didn't know. So. I like it. Joni, mm -hmm. how about you? What do you want to take away? Yeah, I think um, I would echo what, what Amy said. I love um, the peer-to-peer -peer learning that happens here, but I'm also excited to hear um, from Anthology themselves about um, what do they have on the horizon? You know, what things can we look forward to? Uh, technology is ever-changing. Uh, ever growing, expanding, and you know, we have to kind of keep current. We have to keep aware of uh, what other schools are using, but also what are the tech platforms that we routinely 
um, engage with, you know, what do they have next on the horizon? Yeah. What are the innovations and how can they impact us? You know, we can't do everything as you talked about, you know, budgets being limited and things like that. Um, it's definitely an everyday reality. But I think that um, when you can come to a conference like this and see what's coming, then you can plan ahead. You know, you, you can position yourself to uh, be relevant and to engage in ways that matter. Yeah, and I think at this point in our history of higher ed, finding out what's going on in the industry as, in totality is really important, where the trends mm -hmm. are heading, wh who, who's not just with technology, but who's doing it right, <laughs> how are they increasing enrollment, who's increasing donations, who's right, yes. retaining more students. All of those ideas matter because we know uh, if you work in higher education, if you're listening to this podcast, it does take a village. Everybody plays mm -hmm. a role in every role is important, not one more important than the other. So right. thank you, ladies, Amy thank and Joni you. from the Grove welcome. City College. Yeah. I hope this was a good podcast. Was this a good podcasting hey, experience? First time, I think I'm spoiled. I'm yeah. going to have high expectations for my next yeah. opportunity. Amy's <laughs> going to be your next podcasting host at Grove yes. City College. Watch out, you alumni, know, it's funny. alumni we're, podcast. We're headed there. No, no yes. joke. This has right. already been in conversation. As soon as we're done recording, I'm going to unload everything I know about podcasting yeah. with you guys. All Let's right? go. All right. Well, this has been another episode <laughs> of the Edit Experience Podcast here live from Anthology Together with the ladies from Grove City College. Thank you guys. Thank you.